Sunshine Motel. October 25th, Bright Spell, Minnesota. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. So, uh, stop me if you've heard this one. I hate Minnesota. I sat impatiently and frustrated. I was on a bed in a motel that was better suited for Norman Bates and the corpse of his loving mother. It certainly wasn't a place for a very important, award-winning journalist. Yeah, yeah, and uh, just in case you're wondering... Yes, that's me. The motel itself was vintage, in that it truly was retro and not a conscious design motif. A hideous shade of vomit green, much, much like uh, Elvis's jungle room at Graceland, from the photos I've seen, greeted whomever the, the lucky soul was who entered this particular room. The motel was just as repulsive on the outside. Listen, color aside... Everything was bolted down. The television was, okay, understandable. Maybe. Same with with some of the the retro furniture. I mean, there was money on eBay for lamps and such. But I'm saying even the throw rugs were locked tight to the floor, as well as the shower curtain to its rod in the bathroom. I don't care who you are. That's not normal. This shithole sure wasn't the Hyatt. But according to the web search I had performed, trying to uh, to find a place as far away from my mother and so-called family as possible, nothing, nothing was the Hyatt. Not around these parts. It was just a little too upscale, you know, like a little too classy for these good old country folk. I'm 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 sorry. I'm, I'm on edge. It was during that web search that I had spotted this little gem. Rated three stars. Funny thing was, it was the only gem, stars or no stars, in the entire county. The webpage had boasted, From our family to yours, let us welcome you into our home with sunshine. Hence the ridiculous name. All it needed was a deformed banjo-picking mutant throwing some hoo-wee, squeal like a piggy, locals to more accurately paint the portrait of the motel owner's sunshine family. Place should be renamed Motel Deliverance. You know, if it weren't for plagiarism, copyright, legality, all that, all that stuff. Fuck. I thought, why am I even here? No, the only customers this place received were hookers and couples having affairs. Hooking up whenever they could, however they could. Yeah, uh, give us uh, room 113, please. That's where my best friend's wife and I like to discuss our respective taxes. Squeak, squeak goes the bedsprings. Fake, oh gods, from the prostitutes. God, I hated this state and every single person in it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm... I'm lying.
I'm lying to you. Truth is, I didn't truly hate Minnesota. I know I say it a lot, a lot. I, yeah. I, I don't hate Minnesota. I don't hate the people in it. I'm not kind to Minnesota. It was easier that way, simpler that way. But then when I, when I open myself up, when I admit these truths, I feel compromised. I feel exposed. And so I, I slip back into attack mode. I, I insult. I disrespect. I do this. Animals. All of them. And then I tell myself, at least in Manhattan, your infidelity seemed classier. You know what I mean? Or, or maybe the fancy motels made it seem that way. Once you were done screwing your best pal's fiancé, you could then have a nice dinner at a five-star restaurant. And let's face it, it always came down to the stars. A hundred dollars a plate, double that for the wine, and ooh la la, enchanté. I heard something. In that den, that office, I, 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 Here, again, in this, this shithole motel 42 miles north of Mound, stars aside, once you were done screwing your best friend's fiancé, you could always go get a slushy and some beef jerky down the street at a Piggly Wiggly. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I had seen one driving up, maybe six blocks back stuck between a shoe repair hut and a shop that sold Bibles. Oh, and hey, hey, if, you're, if your car wasn't safely out of the impound yet, that old nasty DUI transgression notwithstanding, you could always walk. Yeah, sweaty hand and dainty hand, a nice stroll under a starlit night. Might even be romantic. Uncle Drunk was right. I did make it out. Just in time. The safety deposit key was still in my hand as I sat cross-legged on the bed, which was embroidered with a nautical motif. Yeah, it went great with the deer head above the telephone and lamp. Never mind the shitty wall color. Nothing like Bambi to remind you of dear old mother. My laptop was open, balanced on a shitty desk that at one time may have been a card table in a homeless shelter. One of the main reasons I was so frustrated. Family aside, there was no signal. Which meant, of course, that I wasn't able to access the internet to search for the key's origin. Or, for that matter, the image of the ship that I had haphazardly tried to scribble onto a piece of typing paper from memory. A good journalist never rests when there's a mystery to solve. I truly believe that. I found myself making great strides across the room. Fed up and frustrated, I, I slammed the monitor screen down. I turned and, and grabbed my Blackberry Storm off of the mismatched nightstand. A square lampshade on top of a base that was made out of an old fishing boat's wooden wheel. I... I don't know. <sighs> Slamming the motel door shut, I stomped outside. Cursing everything under my breath. I mean... I mean, <laughs> I, 
I, I, I must have looked crazy to the locals. Which made me think, however briefly, that anyone watching could clearly have seen how lunacy must have run in my family. Especially with the show that I was putting on. Drumroll, please. Ladies and gentlemen, come one, come all, see the big city hotshot meltdown. Yeah, I, I, I was a fucking clown. I held my Blackberry high to the sky, moving left, then right, higher, then lower, tracing invisible squares, back and forth, this way and that. It was no use. I was in a dead zone. Stephen King, eat your heart out. This entire county was a dead zone. No one here even had cell phones, so who the hell were they to judge? Maybe they sold the, the throwaway ones at the Piggly Wiggly for the truckers passing through. Maybe the truckers would have better luck and get a signal once they fled this godforsaken county. I hate it. I hate it. I, I went to the front desk. Yeah, I went to the front desk and a, a tiny old man greeted me. Pipe in hand, the, uh, the aroma was actually more pleasing than how I had found my bathroom after I had checked in. Yeah, why can't I get my wireless? I'm sorry, I, I apologize. It's been a day. Well, uh, well, I'm, I'm trying to get my cell phone to work. I did my very best. To keep my voice even. I needed to work on the mystery of the ship and the key fast. We don't have any of those fancy computers here. The elderly man said, his thumbs hooked under his armpits, like a damn cartoon. Which means no cell phone reception. Not even that fancy thing you're holding in your hand there. Nope, not even that. I just stood there. Glaring, thinking, where were all the young people? Technology keeps people from living. I, I, I couldn't tell if the old fellow was, was trying to look sage or if he was having a stroke. Talking on how he preferred to experience life and the people within it. That was why the motel was in the middle of nowhere. There wouldn't even be a Walmart here any time in the next decade. His idea of technology was a new adding machine. His receipts were still all handwritten. That... <sighs> to put it simply, he didn't want to lose the personal connection people made by interacting with one another. <laughs> yeah, I thought. Wouldn't want that now, would we? God forbid. Pyeh! To hell with technology! The old man said in agitation. So I tried a different tactic. Okay, how many banks are in this town? Speaking louder because I assumed he was deaf. The only thing I was able to discern about the safety deposit key was that it wasn't local. Not to the mom banks at least. I had, I had questioned or, eh, you know, interrogated. Maybe was more like it, but regardless, I had questioned the managers of the two banks before my tire squealing escape out of town. The first bank manager was useless. The second, 
The second recognized the key instantly, more appropriately, the make and model. Now his bank, he explained, used to have the same kind of safety deposit boxes exclusive to the key's manufacturer before they modernized. There was only one other bank that the manager knew of that still used that kind of safety deposit box that the key had belonged to. And that was 42 miles outside of Mound, Minnesota. The manager smiled, said that the only reason that he had known about the key was not only because he was born and raised in that quiet little hamlet known as Brightspell, but because he worked eight of his 56 years there before moving to Mound. Now, all I heard after that was blah, 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 yada, 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 bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Just one. The motel owner smiled, shaking me from my, my thoughts. It's always been just one. Well, now, that narrows the origin down a little now, doesn't it? Well, all right, yes, yes, all right. Uh, do you know what time the bank closes? Look, kid. The old man pointed one of his wrinkled fingers at me. Just because I'm the oldest guy around these parts doesn't mean I have all the answers. I just run this here motel. I'm too busy to know what hours those bankers keep. I ain't a banker. Now, is there anything else I can do you for, or can I go about my day in peace? Yeah, I, w I walk straight to my car, wishing a heart attack would befall a certain someone with a wrinkly pointed finger and hope to get to the bank before it closed. I clicked the door opener and heard the familiar chirp. And that was when I saw it. Saw him. A disturbing and flat-out frightening old man. Yet he, he held an air of distinction and wore an immaculate, crisp black suit and a top hat. Straight out of the 1920s, right there in the reflection of the driver's side window. Hands clasped firmly behind his back as he moved forward toward... <clears throat> what? I spun around and saw nothing. Nothing at all. Not man or animal, not even a passing car. But I saw it. I saw it, I swear, I saw it. I kept my gaze full circle and saw the motel owner's better half, older than dirt, her bones creaking away in her rocking chair. I saw her. A mangy old mutt slept beside her and looked as if he was two seconds closer to death than she was. But other than the woman and the dog, there was nothing. Nothing. Just my thoughts on the past that I had wished would have stayed buried. Buried and gone. Where they belonged. Whispers in the Cries Written and performed by Matthew Ewald Produced by Star Chaser Productions. October 25th, Bright Spell, Minnesota.
Well, after a little runaround from the bank manager and some clever thinking on my part, which amounted to a little bit of flirting with her, um, I mean, hey, things worked out. I grinned, said the right words, and made sure the, the light hit my blue eyes just right. Sadly, you can always tell when a when a woman is neglected or disrespected, betrayed. I'm not asking for much, just for some appreciation. No. Wounded. No, the kids deserve better. I, I deserve better. I can't do this. No, you listen. I can't do this right now because I'm at work. I work. I work so that you can drink. I had overheard her on the phone talking to what I assumed to be her husband, arguing about um, the kids, the bills, how he didn't appreciate all that she did. So although I, I used whatever charms and looks I had to my advantage for my benefit, I also hope that in some way it made her feel seen. Because she was beautiful. And I'm not talking about externally. I'm, I'm saying internally she was beautiful. <clears throat> anyway. Learning from the multitude of bored and neglected women in the big bad city certainly had its benefits. Five minutes later I was in the bank vault closer to the safety deposit box and the secrets that it held within its steel trap. This, this was the origin of the key, the box, which once belonged to that grand old man whose name I, I couldn't remember other than as Papa. It was filled with old photographs, relics from World War II, yellowed newspaper clippings, and a, a single unmarked hotel card key. No name, no address. Flipping it over, I saw A-137 scrawled in a crusty red. Oh my god, like, like dried blood. One of the smaller items was a business card, dog-eared, used and worn, for a therapist in West Brightspell, about 10 miles down Route 15, by the name of Dr. Douglas Thorne. And among the belongings better fit for a museum than a barred house of cash and heirlooms was a single image that was sketched rather, rather poorly, to be honest, as with the other one I had seen, of a vessel, a ship steaming forward over dark, turbulent waters. That same ship. But what caught my attention was that in those dark waters, reaching upward from the depths with clawed, inhuman hands, were shadowed forms like ancient man, struggling, fighting, and, and crawling from out of the primordial ooze, tearing away fin and claw to become something more, something better and not just fin and claw, but flesh and humanity. And overlooking it all, 
upon the bow of that old ship was an old man. The number two pencil used on the drawing had created wrinkles across the face. What might have been a dark suit, but what was most certainly a top hat. Welcoming the shadowed forms below the bow. An old man that looked very much like the reflection I had seen in the car window. Identical to the reflection in the window. The last item in the box was almost... It was almost too good to be true. It was a small mini handheld cassette player. Upon inspecting it, there was a cassette tape within it. I hit play. 911, what's your emergency? Sir? Sir? Sir, are you injured? Sir? And then just like that, it was over. Okay, then. Moving on. Dr. Douglas Thorne's office. October 25th. Brightspell, Minnesota. I was able to catch up with my grandfather's therapist. It was the first lead that I had chosen to follow from the contents of the safety deposit box as he was leaving his office. Actually, truth be told, my, my luck had been pretty good so far. If I had walked down the hall and to the right, the doctor would have walked from the left and into the vacated elevator. And that would have been it. It would have been a bitch if I had missed him. I had driven to the private practice 12 miles east from the bank on Route 15, bordering the outskirts of the next county. The city of Brightspell itself was decent. Small, but with a downtown that didn't consist of just a main street. It reminded me of a port town without the port. I would even bet that this was a relatively crime-free area. And amongst the office buildings, a handful stood about five stories, such as the one I had entered. The man I had come to see was much older than I was. Maybe early fifties, dark hair graying at the sideburns. His hair in general was longer than expected of a man his age. Oh, maybe... Maybe it was the town's look. But his voice... His voice didn't carry the... The emotional gravitas of somebody who had lived. It sounded... Younger hopeful. Not knowing that it was him, I asked the man if he could tell me where Dr. Douglas Thorne's office was. Well, you found him, he said. And you are? I told the doctor my name, studying his eyes for any recognition of the name Conroy. And then I followed Thorne back to his office. Please, have a seat, young squire, Thorne said in a comforting tone. And tell me, what affliction has brought you to my humble practice? Our discussion was friendly. No assumptions at first, nothing but a journalist implying that I was on a case and a friendly therapist who stuck to the rules of his practice. Although, <laughs> I, um, I was chuckling inside. Young squire. Affliction. I'd roll my eyes to the back of my skull if I could. 
I don't know, this guy was... This guy was a real piece of work. I mean, he'd never make it in the real city. Being eccentric was one thing, but there was something off about this man. A little too peppy. You know what I'm saying? Like, his voice was even, but he was peppy about it. Yeah, yeah, that, that was it. Robin Williams might have even portrayed him in a different reality if the, if the good doctor could ever muster the will to matter to anybody in the real world. Forgive me, um, <laughs> was how the conversation had started. But you're mistaken. I'm not afflicted. I'm simply looking for information. Knowledge. Yes. I nodded my head. Well then, Mr. Conroy. Thorne touched some papers on his desk. I'm afraid I'm going to have to be the bearer of bad news. Oh yeah, and how's that? My smile had disappeared. The quest for knowledge has been man's greatest pursuit since the dawn of time. Still rustling those papers. When one question is answered, another is asked. Our minds are wheels, Mr. Conroy. Around and around they go. See? You are conflicted. Lucky for you, my rates are competitive. Yeah. I show I shook my head in silent laughter. The doctor saw something familiar in my eyes. He saw my grandfather. Now, our, our conversation was a pleasant one. It truly was. I asked him about the practice, how long he had been a PhD, things of that nature. Typical interview questions. Nothing out of the ordinary, just me playing the game. Saying the right things, asking the right questions, and, and breaking down defenses. It was only as our conversation wore on that I realized the therapist knew the game all too well. He wasn't just a pro, alright? He was a goddamn master. Careful, Mr. Conroy. When you fly too close to the sun, the gods burn your wings. Yeah, but I kept pushing. A little here, a little there. Impatience creeping into my voice, the way a subtle question became less from the mouth of a caring grandson and more from the lips of a talented journalist digging in for clues. Thorne realized this, but still he said nothing of my charade. He didn't suspect that I was digging into a life of a man that, as a grandson, I never really knew. Well... No more games. Have you ever thought about therapy, Mr. Conroy? <laughs> wow. I met his gaze. I mean, if, if I didn't know any better, I'd say you were trying to up your recruiting quota. It's an honest question. No offense meant. Remember, around and around we go. I learned that phrase from an old colleague of mine, Richard King. He's in Los Angeles now, but he certainly had his pet phrases. Always talking about he Yeah, I forced a smile. That, uh, that trademark smirk of mine. Richard King? Human nature? I mean, who gives a shit? Thorne stood, pushing back against his chair, and went back to a, a sort of mini-kitchen strategically placed in the corner's nook closest the window. Offer you a cup? No, thank you. Thinking briefly on the expensive coffee pot, I hadn't even heard it brewing. Certainly was on a timer, so... So about my... I shouldn't even be drinking this. Thorne held the cup high. 
I'll be honest, if my wife saw this, she'd have a conniption. This'll be my, what, third pot of the day? He inhaled deeply of the brew's wafting scent. And in the faint light of the cozy office, I could see the tendrils of steam coil up out of the cup. Like something from out of a... a Lovecraftian nightmare. The great old ones emerging from the depths. Books I had read as a young teen. And then I thought on my grandfather's sketches. Drawings of something... else within that dark abyss. Well... Thorne's voice pulled me back into reality. Style blend has always been my vice. I suppose, well, I know that there are worse conditions. Yeah, I, I wouldn't know. I was showing my impatience. Now, please, if you could just tell... You're probably too young to remember, but there was a commercial where a college student shows up early in the morning at Christmas time pantomiming a, a, a motion of weighing our respective age differences within his palms. He secretly starts up a pot of coffee. You could tell the aroma was creeping around the house, waking his parents, surprising them all with gifts and clothing. He laughed. The best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup. <laughs> you, uh, familiar with it? No, I said. Ah, well, great commercial, and I love my coffee. He laughed a, a private laugh. Yet there was... There was something hidden in that sound. Although, coffee always keeps me up at night. Now, how have you been sleeping since your grandpa... <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it was... It was then that I finally understood. I finally got it. I mean, hell, I, I'll, I'll give the good doctor this. He certainly know how to work a patient. One long tale, a Christmas past, and right into the question that would set it all up. Oh, <laughs> look at you, Doc, I said. Well, dumb man, like a, like a dog with a bone. Listen, with all due respect, I don't need this runaround, all right? And I certainly don't have time for it. I'm not looking to become one of your patients, so stop trying to get me on your couch. And the distinguished man shrugged. Then what are you looking for? <sighs> answers. There's a fine line between madness and insanity, between looking for the answers and searching for the same. And there's a point where a patient must ask him or herself why it's important that they choose one or the other. There, 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 right there. There was the break in his defenses, I thought. And in that split-second moment, I believed that I had the upper hand in this verbal, uh, game of war. Fire at will. Yeah, but like I said, Doc, I'm not your patient, and we're not talking about me. That's interesting that you should say that. I was wrong. Oh yeah, and, and why's that? Because I wasn't referring to you, Mr. Conroy, and yet you assumed I was. Yeah, I, I was very wrong. Then who are you referring to? Your grandfather, of course. Thorne said. I assume that's why you were here. Or maybe you would like to take a seat on my couch. The man smiled like the devil. Maybe he was. It went on from there. The two of us talked, knowing that we were both in a verbal stalemate. I tried to get as much information as possible as the sun slowly set through the large panoramic window behind Thorne. The doctor said that he was not at liberty to disclose his patients past or present. 
It didn't matter if it was a family member making the inquiry or not. But he did say there was a lot of history between my grandfather and him. My grandfather had been seeking Thorne's trust, not only as his therapist, but as his, his confidant as well. I, I mean, I pressed him for more answers. I showed Thorne the artwork my grandfather quite possibly had drawn of a ship with no name and no markings, but for the shadowed top hat man and those, those things reaching for the vessel from the dark depths, I showed him all of it. I showed him all of it. Thorne listened. And, and I knew, I knew that even though the doctor's reply was vague, he obviously knew something about the image. Certainly knew more than he was telling. Patient confidentiality, my ass. Your grandfather had a great many demons he wished to exercise from his past, Mr. Connor. Thorne said. You don't see the kind of things that man witnessed during the war and not come back a little haunted. But that doesn't make him any less of a great man. He was a hero in my book, and it's a great tragedy how his life ended. Are you kidding me, man? He died in an asylum, I said. There's nothing great or heroic about that. It's sad. Like I said, it was a tragedy. And we young men are not who we are in the final moments of our lives but how we are remembered by those we leave behind. Your grandfather was a great man, but just because his final moments of life were not, doesn't After our conversation had ended, which left me with more questions and answers, I walked toward the door. But before I could leave, the good doctor had a question of his own. You know, Mr. Conroy, your grandfather spoke very highly of you. Yeah, so I've been told. But he also told me about you and your family's past. You haven't been back to Mound in close to 15 years now, is that right? Yeah, and I had anger building within me. Well, I'm just curious as to why a man like yourself, who has no ties to his family whatsoever, no love lost, would even care about his grandfather. Thorne took a step toward me, eyes narrowing, filled with a sense of awe and wonder, like, a, like the curiosity of a scientist dissecting a new life form. What are you searching for? He asked. Uh, what can I say? I said after a long pause. I love a good mystery.